of you like to go on adventures? Yeah? I like the idea of, event- of going on an adventure. I like the idea of it, but I find a lot of times I chicken out and don't go on it because I'm not certain on what it's going to look like. Um, there, there are times where I'll, I'll think of something like, that's a great idea, but then I realize it would be just as good if I just sat at home in my recliner and just stay at home. Does any of you feel like that? Or you're like, you know what, I, I, it would be great to go out, but it just sounds so good to just stay home and not do a thing. Uh, and there are other times that I'm just afraid. I don't want to do this. And so uh, to give you an example, how many of you have ever been skydiving? So I know there's at least one person here who has done that, but there's a couple of you, so my salute to you both. But I like the idea of skydiving. I like the idea that it will give you this rush. And people who have gone skydiving before, one of the things that they mention is is that the view from up there is beautiful. And so there's all of these positive things of, hey, why not just throw yourself out of a plane? That sounds like fun. But that's something that I want to do in my head. But somehow my heart comes to me and says, this doesn't seem like it's a great idea. You know, the idea of jumping out of a plane. Who wants to do that? Who wants to jump out of a plane? Okay, so some of you want to do that. I don't want to do that. And to be clear, I don't want to jump out of a plane that's flying. If it's some random plane at the airport, I'll jump out of that all day. I'll even take a selfie on the way down. It'll be fine. But if it's flying in the air, I don't want to jump out. Why? Because I'm essentially saying I'm going to die unless something that is completely out of my control works. (laughs) And that's the thing, is is that I'm putting my trust into something that I don't know to do something that has this promise, but if it doesn't, it's going to go horribly wrong. And I think that in our lives, in our Christian lives, we say we trust Jesus Christ. We say that we believe him, that he will deliver us and lead us into all truth. But when it comes down to it, when we don't have control over the situation, we look at what God is calling us to, and if we're uncertain, we have this temptation to not walk forward to what we think God is calling us to. Instead, we get chickened out and we say, no, I don't want to do that. And in reality, God has already promised that he'll deliver us. He's already promised that he'll be there with us. We simply have to give up our control and trust him that he can do what only he can do. If you jump out of the airplane, no matter how hard you flap your arms, it's going to end terribly for you. You go out the plane, you're flapping, you're flapping, you're still going to drop just as fast, and you're going to hit the ground, and then, well, I guess you get to meet Jesus, but that's okay, you know, but if you're not going to do what you think you're going to do. You have to put your trust in that parachute, right? How many times are we led on a path, and we're uncertain of the future, and our default is to try to grab control of the situation instead of simply trusting in God to do what only he can do. 
That's what, I, that's what I want to challenge you today, is to embrace the adventure of uncertainty. To embrace that there are things in this life that are going to be uncertain, but acknowledge it for the adventure that it is, because God will take you through that, and you will have some great and wonderful stories, but at the end of the day, you will be delivered, you will be used by God, and you will be able to do things that you will normally wouldn't be able to do, because you're relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit and not on your own strength. That brings me to my first point. The certainty of uncertainty. That, does that make sense? I mean, that's the only thing that we can really count on, right? Is that there's going to be something that happens in your life from day to day that you're, you didn't count on. Today, I wasn't counting on me driving in here to the church and realizing that there is a car that hit a 10-point deer on Route 5 on the, on the Camillus Bypass. And it completely blocked everything off. And of course, because it didn't happen in my lane, of course, I'm not just zooming along. I'm slowing down because not only are the people in front of me slowing down to see what is going on, but I'll, I am looking to see because now I see this SUV that's dented in all sorts, in, in all sorts of ways, but I don't see any other car. And so now I'm looking for the car. Where, where, what happened? And, and so there are certain things in life that you will not be able to see. Uh, a lot of us are, are going to be going home today, and what happens if that's you? What happens if you hit a deer? Now, that I don't mean to be discouraging, but there's some, the, I'm sure that that person who was driving that vehicle never thought, you know what, I'm going to go out today, and I'm going to slam into a 10-point deer at 70 miles an hour. That sounds like fun, right? That's not something that anyone plans on, but that's certainly something that happened today. And so the, if there's anything that we could pull away from just a basic philosophical, logical conclusion is, is that there's going to be things that happen that you were not aware of. And so I want to point you to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. This is a passage that Pastor Doug brought up last, uh, last week, and I thought I would piggyback off of him because he did such a fantastic job. But we have this story of Jonathan who is in the safety of his own camp. The Philistines are at the other end, and he decides that he's going to travel over to the other side with his armor bearer to pick a fight. Sounds responsible, right? And so he, as he's going, he doesn't really have a strategic uh, position here because he's traveling between two cliffs. He has a cliff on the right, he has a cliff on the left, and he has the Philistines in front of him. So if they see him, it's not like he has a lot of places to go. It's not like he can, can hide over here or hide over here. He either keeps on going straight or he chickens out and he retreats. And so here we see Jonathan making this decision, and let's, uh, let's read in verses 6 to 7. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will intervene for us. Nothing can prevent the Lord from delivering, whether by many or by a few. His armor-bearer said to him, Do everything that is on your mind. Do as you're inclined. I'm with you all the way. How many of you want somebody like that in your life? I'm with you all the way. 
I want somebody to be with me all the way in eating ice cream. In particular, Perry's ice cream, the chocolate peanut butter cup. That's my favorite, that's my favorite ice cream. It's good ice cream, right? And I want someone to come along beside me. I don't care if you eat 20 gallons of that stuff. I'm with you all the way. Even though it looks like you've eaten a lot of ice cream already, it's okay. I'm with you all the way. And so we have this armor bearer here that Jonathan is making this insane proposal. Why don't you and I go over to that whole army and start fighting? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? But we have this armor bearer and go, hey, if that's what you want to do, all right, I'll be with you all the way. Let's die. And that's, that's essentially what they were doing. And it seems irresponsible, but if you take that passage and you ignore the entire context of what has been going on up until that point, um, it, it, it seems irresponsible, but let's take a look at the context. The context is, is that God is instructing the nation of Israel to take the promised land. And not only did he instruct them to take the promised land, he said, I want you to take control of it in order to wrestle away control from all these other people. And so when Jonathan looks over at these other people, this is part of the instructions that he has already been given by God Almighty. Go and take the land and be in control of it, which means take it away from all these other people. And so he's not going up to this large army, into this war zone, and just, I'm looking to fight just for the sake of fighting. He sees this as him fulfilling what God has called them to do. He's just not going to allow the outward circumstances to deter him from doing that. And I think with us, we get so freaked out if we don't know how something is going to go, and we use our brains and we use this rationale, well, yeah, God has called us to live a life of faith, but he's called us to use our brains too. He's called us to think about things. And in reality, if God has called us to reach this world for his sake and for his glory, and that means that we have this insurmountable obstacle in front of us, it's not for us to take a look at that obstacle and say, because of this, that is why I am not going forward. Instead, it is for us to continue to walk forward realizing that Jesus Christ is going to empower us to spread the gospel throughout the ends of the earth, and whatever, God, whatever obstacles are in the way, he will remove them as he sees fit. There's a lot of things that we don't know. I was reading the other day on how a certain species that they thought was extinct are, is now, there's several sightings of that species all over Australia. There are certain species that we never knew existed that we're finding all the time. And we have all of this knowledge, we have all of this science and technology, and that's not to speak down of those things, it's just simply to make a, a, real, a recognition, to acknowledge that things are so big that we as human beings simply cannot know it all. And I think there are times that we should recognize that even though we don't know something, we know the one who does know everything. And so are we trusting in ourselves or are we trusting in God to do what only he can do? Let's take a look at this clip of an example of someone not knowing. 
I did lose some weight last summer. Thank you. Thank you. I did. I did. Why have my appendix removed? <laughs> it still counts. I didn't know what the appendix was, and since I'm an idiot, I just pretended like I did. The doctor was like, we have to remove your appendix. And I was like, both of them? <laughs> Luckily, he thought I was kidding. He's like, ha! So grateful he didn't call me out. I don't know what it would have said, you know. Like, There's only one appendix. Oh, <laughs> appendix. I, I thought you said lungs. <laughs> to me, they sound similar because I'm dumb. I didn't know what the appendix was, but I don't feel that bad. The doctor told me science isn't even sure what the appendix does exactly. Science isn't even sure why the appendix exists. I, I think it's strange science doesn't know what the appendix does. That means nobody knows. You never hear science doesn't know, but Earl has a theory. <laughs> Earl, when you were cleaning the toilet, you mumbled something. <laughs> How is that an acceptable answer from the entire scientific community? Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> well, back to cloning everything. <laughs> Just remove the appendix. That's, that's the solution. Take it out. We don't know what it does. <laughs> and it's fine. But you know the first time they did it, we removed your appendix. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I had my appendix removed in Alaska. That's not why I went there. <laughs> I was on vacation with my family, and I had this sharp pain in my abdomen. And since I'm a genius, my first thought was, Oh, I pulled a muscle in my stomach. <laughs> That's what I sincerely thought. See all these muscles? <laughs> I thought I pulled one. Doing nothing. <laughs> and the pain was overwhelming. I couldn't move. My wife was like, I'm going to go for help. I'm going to go for help. But we're in a remote area of Alaska, so she just ran to nearby cabins. Eventually, she came back a lot of breath. She's like, I found a guy. I found a guy. I was like, oh, good. Is he a doctor? And she goes, no. I go, is he a nurse? And she goes, he's a lawyer. <laughs> I guess he can do my will. <laughs> so then this lawyer doctor came over started asking me questions. And when you're in pain, all questions are annoying. He's like, do you have a fever? And I was like, are you even a lawyer? <laughs> He's like, is it a dull pain? There's nothing boring about this. <laughs> Eventually, I had to be airlifted on advice of counsel. <laughs> I was airlifted, which was embarrassing, because unlike a heroic airlift of someone from a natural disaster or a wounded soldier, I was just a fat guy with a tummy ache. <laughs> Yeah, that's silly. <laughs> but there's a lot of things that we just don't know. You know, what does the appendix do? And if we don't know so if we don't have anyone near us to explain what is going on, then we just grab anyone with a degree and hopefully they know the answer to it. And all that really reveals is we simply don't know. And so my challenge to you today is is that in is to embrace the uncertainty of life. Embrace that there are things that you simply will not know. 
all that we do know is what God has revealed to us is that he has come, he has died for our sins, he was resurrected so that we can have new life, and now he is calling and speaking to us every single day through the Holy Spirit to make sure that his gospel goes from here to the ends of the earth. That is what we are called to do, amen? And so when it comes to making these steps in life, we don't need to know every single step. We don't need to know every detail. And all we really need to know is, is that we need to take that step of faith. Let's take a look at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. John 9, verses 1 through 11. Now as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind? This man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with, with the saliva. He smeared the mud on the man's blind eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the blind man went away and washed and came back seen. Then the neighbors and the people who had seen him previously as a beggar began saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some people said, this is the man. While others said, no, but he looks like him. The man himself kept insisting, I'm the one. So they asked him, how then were you made to see? He replied, the man called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and was able to see. Now notice the question that the disciples asked. What a question is that? When you're walking along, you see a man who has been there since he was born. He's blind, and he's begging because that is the only way to get food and to be able to take care of himself. And what did the disciples do? Did they choose to help him out? Did they choose to come alongside him, to give him care, to give him love? No, they asked, did this guy sin? Did he, is it his fault? Is he the one that caused this problem, or was it his parents? What a question. And I think that we as human beings get caught up in that a lot. Something bad happens, and the first thing that we want to do is instead of looking at the problem and looking how to solve the problem, we want to know who to blame. Who do we point the finger at? If you want an example of a lot of finger pointing, all you have to do is turn on the news and see what is going on in Washington, D.C., you have people doing an awful lot of finger pointing, an awful lot of blaming, and all the while, the problems that are there are not being dealt with. People just want to assign blame. And here the disciples are doing the very same thing is instead of loving this man, instead of seeing what they can do to make this man's life better, they want to ask, who's at fault? Who's to blame for this? I think... For a lot of people, it's not even a question that you want somebody to blame. You just want something to make sense. 
You have this tragedy in your life. You have this terrible thing. You know you can't turn back the clock. You know that there's nothing that you can do to change what has happened. But if you only had an answer to the question why, somehow that will make it more manageable. Has anyone been there? If you only knew why? And so here we have the disciples. They want to know why. They want to blame. And here Jesus makes it very clear, this man needs to be healed. And this is why this man was born blind, is so that my goodness could be made known throughout the earth. Now, the amazing part of this story is, is that Jesus doesn't heal him right away. In other people, he, he has the crippled that has been brought to him, and he prays for them, he heals them, and then they walk away right away, right? But with this man, he spits on the ground and makes mud. Now, as a blind person, I'm sure that you can hear pretty well when somebody is spitting, right? In fact, he's probably been spat on before. And so now he, the, he's hearing this man spit on the ground, and now he's feeling this saliva mud pie being smeared all over his face. And he's being told, now go away and wash. My response would be, the reason why I have to wash is because you just smeared mud on my face. Why did you do that? Isn't it not enough for me to be blind and begging here? Why did you smear this mud on my face? And so if somebody did that to me, I'm not sure if I would be as inclined to listen to any more advice that they have to give. I've had enough of their help, right? And here, this man decides to make the journey from where he was to the pool of Siloam. And he made that journey blind. He made that journey with mud on his face. But he decided that he was going to take God at his word and that if I simply take this step of faith and this step of faith and this step of faith until I finally get to where God has called me to go, maybe he will do what he promised. And I think for a lot of us, God has invited us to participate in what he's doing. He doesn't go out and say, I'm just going to heal you. That's what I want, right? I, I, when I pray to God, I want God to take this thing that is bothering me and just remove it from my life. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Just take it away from me. And God is saying, no, if you follow me, if you, if you listen to what I am calling you to do and you start taking those steps of obedience, I'm going to bring you to where you need to be and then you will receive my healing and you will receive my salvation. It is not you working out your salvation. It is simply acknowledging that your salvation comes to Jesus Christ and that as you obey him, he will take you to where you need to be and solve the issue in a way that you never thought would be solved. Uncertainty is not an excuse for disobedience. If God is calling us to do something, why in the world do we think we need to know all the steps first before we start walking? Wouldn't it make better sense to just start walking forward 
in what God has called us to do and trust that he will do what only he can do. The other aspect that I suppose of why Jesus did it this way is is that he was more concerned with the man's salvation than he was with his healing. You see, if his soul is saved, then that affects all of his eternity. But if he's only healed, then that only affects the temporary. And I think there's a lot of times where we want an immediate solution to this temporary life. When in reality, God is inviting us to contribute, that God is inviting us to participate in what he's doing so that when we take those steps of obedience, it's for our good because we're trusting in him. We have our faith in him. That by the time we get there, we won't forget when the next problem comes, but we have this whole experience to point back, and Jesus was with me every step of the way. You'll only get to where God is taking you to go unless you will only get there in, in, in whoop. If you start walking, you will finally get there. But if you never walk, then you'll never get there. Does that make sense? I had a much more clever way of saying that, but my tongue said no. So, I've embraced this limitation. <laughs> so, hopefully that came out all right. <laughs> but, uncertainty isn't an excuse for us to be disobedient. I know that in my own life, I had a pretty clear understanding of who God was. When my mom was sick, I had a very clear picture in my head on who Jesus was. And I had a very clear understanding of how God was going to intervene in my life and intervene in her life. And when it didn't work out that way, it really challenged my view of God. Is he a God who heals or is he not? And I had to deal with the fact that this Jesus that I was serving, it, it was Jesus, but I was putting something in the way, and what, in reality, what I was doing was is that I was painting my own portrait of who Jesus was and who I thought he was, and I was placing it in front of him and saying, see, this is Jesus. This is what he's going to do. He's going to heal, and so when that didn't happen, I was forced to rip that down and to see Jesus for who he really was, And I think there are times where things get so confusing for us that we end up creating a picture of our own making instead of looking at the Jesus who was in Scripture and the Jesus who is good no matter what is happening in our lives. Sometimes we have our own pictures that we paint. And so before I show this next clip, the context of it is art galleries. And in art galleries, there's all these pictures of Jesus and how people have painted them. So let's take a look. Those art museum security guards, you know, they're important. They're, some of that art is priceless. Some of it's on loan. You see that next to a painting? On loan from a rich person. <laughs> the poor people may look at my art. <laughs> Don't let them get their peasant fingers on it. <laughs> 
some of that art is priceless. Recently, a Da Vinci painting sold for $450 million. Like, what room do you put that in your house? <laughs> I put that in the game room. <laughs> it was a Da Vinci painting, Salvatore de Mundo. It was a painting of Jesus. But it's not like Da Vinci even knew what Jesus looked like. He painted it 1,500 years after Jesus walked the earth. So he was just guessing. He's like, I don't know, he's got brown eyes probably. I don't know. <laughs> he probably just painted someone he knew. <laughs> you know, back in the day, they're like, people are like, what is that, your nephew, Eddie? No, that's Jesus. <laughs> the savior of the world. Uh, Eddie's wearing the same outfit as him. <laughs> It's a coincidence. <laughs> so many paintings of Jesus, right? But there's really, there's really two types of paintings of Jesus. There's Jesus as an adult or Jesus as a baby. There's no teenage Jesus. <laughs> there's no acne Jesus <laughs> with the beginning of a mustache. <laughs> Jim, you're going to hell for that. And you sound so dumb right now. <laughs> it does sound silly. We have our own pictures and ideas on how things should look. If we simply take those steps of faith, we will realize that in the uncertainty, births miracles. Miracles happen when things, when things, are, when things uh, are not according to the way they should go. Otherwise, they wouldn't be miracles, right? And so the disciples were uncertain of the man's blindness. The man was uncertain that if he took those steps of faith that it would actually lead to his healing. Uh, Jonathan was uncertain that if he took the steps forward that he would be victorious against, um, against the Philistines. And think about that for a moment. He's in the middle of fighting. I can't imagine that it was a Hollywood fight where he didn't get hit once by a, by a sword or by a spear or an arrow. He goes out there to fight. He's probably been hit a few times. Now imagine him taking that step of faith and suddenly he gets sliced with a sword. Immediately you start wondering, well, this was a dumb idea. But he kept on going forward. Why? Because he had this faith that God has called the Israelites to come and take this land and it's only going to happen if we start taking those steps forward. If you take those steps forward, we will see miracles happen in our life. We will see God at work. But it will only be until we take those steps. It says in the Bible that signs and wonders will follow the children of God. I'm getting sick and tired of the American church standing in its comfortable little space, unwilling to venture out so that the signs of God can be displayed for all of humanity to see. I am sick of it. Wouldn't it be great that if we trusted God that we'll start taking steps out and things that don't make sense to us, that things that make us uncomfortable, but if we simply say that we're following Jesus Christ, if we follow his word to give us the guidelines and the, and the rails so that we don't go too far off, but if we start taking those steps, wouldn't it be great to see the world coming to Jesus Christ because they see him for who he is. 
that he's relevant, that he wants to heal, that he wants to deliver, he wants to do all these things, and here the church is stuck in this same spot because they're unwilling to take that step of faith and allowing the miracles of God to happen. We're going to put some music on. It brings, brings us to, our, to my fourth point. Miracles proclaim God's goodness. In verse 10, it said, So they asked him, How then were you made to see? He replied, The man called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and was able to see. Our testimonies of what God has done in our lives does a lot of things for us, right? But here's the wonderful part. Other people who get to see what God is doing in our lives, they are pointed to God's goodness as well. And so for us to take those steps of faith, it is not just for our own benefit, but it's for the benefit of those who are around us who see, see, God does work. He is real. He does deliver. But it is only when we take those steps, it is only then when the miracles happen, and it is only then that people see those miracles and say, see, there must be something behind it, and it is God Almighty. Verses 4 through 5, we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There is a sense of urgency that we see there in Jesus. And there should be a sense of urgency in us. Jesus was concerned because he only had a limited amount of time here on this earth before he goes to be at the right-hand side of the Father. We have a limited time here at this earth. We have a limited time to make sure that people know who Jesus Christ is. Do we have that urgency? Do we have that in our hearts that says, I need to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel? I need to live a life of holiness because God has led me to live that life because of his love and grace and mercy? Am I doing all of these things? And if not, then we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we come to this church every Sunday? Why do we read our Bible? Why do we pray? Why do we do all these things if we are not going to take that step of faith? And if we're not going to reach out to the world around us, why are we content to stay in this spot? Will you bow your heads with me? Some of you right now, have painted your own picture of who Jesus is. And it's a, false, it's a false portrait. It's not really him, but it's who you have figured out in your head, this is who Jesus is. I want to challenge you today that you might be here having this tug on your heart from the Holy Spirit that says, Will you, would you like to know the real Jesus? Would you like to know who he really is, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you, the one who says, I am calling you away from this life of sin. If that's you today, I want you to be invited to make this decision for yourself to turn to the real Jesus. Jesus.